0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: For the gospel to continue to advance, it takes courageous people. It takes people who aren't afraid to be rejected. It takes people who aren't afraid to be ridiculed. It takes people who aren't afraid to even be prosecuted or persecuted. God has chosen to Do the work of the kingdom through partnering with people.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 5, verses 17 through 42, in a message titled, The Unstoppable Good News of Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: The point in many ways of the the book of Acts itself, and, and one of the things that I want to emphasize as we make our way through it, is the unstoppable nature of the gospel. And so this is what we're gonna highlight today, just to see how the gospel continues to go forward despite the opposition, despite the setbacks, despite discouragement, despite the sin, uh, all of those forces that are, are so often working against the advancement of the gospel, by God's grace, it continues to advance. And um, that's why we're here today. We're here today because the gospel has advanced all the way to us today. But it advanced because of the, the faithfulness of God and also because of the commitment of men and women. And so let's let's keep that in mind. And just as they were faithful men and women serving the Lord, preserving the gospel and passing it to the next generation. So we need to also be faithful men and women preserving the gospel and passing it to the next generation. So the, the work can carry on until the Lord returns. So let me just remind you that as we pick up here this is the second time that the apostles have been arrested now the first time it seems that only Peter and John were arrested now it seems like all of the apostles were arrested even though Peter is still the the spokesman yet the word apostles seems to indicate that if not all of them at least many of them were and there would be those other 10 beside Peter and John at this point. So they've been arrested now, and we're gonna look at the story and see what happens from this point. But the first thing I want you to note is that the opposition to them was what you might call state-sponsored opposition. These were powerful forces that were against them. It was the high priest and the sect of the Sadducees the Sadducees were the really politically minded leaders at the time. They were the priests were from the Sadducees, uh, but they were very much more power brokers than they were spiritual. They they were not really spiritual at all. They they were all about power. And so with these men, you have, in a sense, you have the religious establishment and the powers of the state combined together. So they had this you know, significant authority to persecute, to prosecute, to oppose, and you know, potentially to even stop the work from advancing. This type of thing still happens, but despite the fact that there still is opposition and sometimes even state sponsored opposition. Despite that, the gospel continues to advance. And sometimes, when we're faced with strong opposition, sometimes God actually divinely intervenes in the situation, as we see happen in the story here. So the apostles are taken and arrested, they're put in the prison. And notice what happens next. Verse 19 says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. So here we have divine intervention. God stepping in and overruling supernaturally. Please let's not forget that God still works supernaturally. You know, sometimes I think we make the mistake of, we read about these kinds of things here in the, the biblical text and we just, we seem to automatically think like, oh yeah, you know, back then there there were angels that did things and there were supernatural things and miracles and all of that. But But all that happened way back then. But the truth of the matter is these kinds of things still happen today. And we should not be surprised by that. We certainly should not be unbelieving in regard to that. We should recognize that even today, God will divinely intervene in our circumstances at times. And especially if we are seeking to advance the gospel and we come up against opposition, we can expect at times divine intervention, supernatural things. Here these guys are, they're in jail and an angel comes and releases them. And as we read over the verses there, you know, isn't it interesting that The high priests then, they gather to decide what they're going to do with the men. They have no idea that these guys have been released. They send the guards to get them and to bring them so they can try them. And the guards come back and say, well, we went there. The doors were locked and the guards were posted. But when we opened the cell, nobody was in it. So here we see it's obviously clearly a supernatural thing that has happened. And again, these kinds of things still happen. They happen today. And so let's not just relegate this to, well, you know, that's the way it used to work, but let's remember and recognize that God still works in these kinds of ways today. Now, as we look at the men themselves, the apostles here, we see that they were fearless men and we see that they were faithful men. Now, when the angel releases them, What does he do? He says, go back to the temple and continue to preach all the words of this life. So basically what the angel is telling them to do is go back to where they arrested you and and just resume what you were doing. Now, you know, maybe I would have said to the angel, "Um, you think we should lay low for a while? Or maybe we ought to find another spot where we could carry on the ministry. But the angel sends them right back to where they were and they go right back and they resume what they were doing and we see in these men at this point we see that they were they were fearless and they were faithful and let me say this that for the gospel to continue to advance it takes courageous people it takes people who aren't afraid to be rejected. It takes people who aren't afraid to be ridiculed. It takes people who aren't afraid to even be prosecuted or persecuted. And we we can't overlook that element. God has chosen to do the work of the kingdom through partnering with people. And it's taken, as I said, courageous men in order for it to be advanced. Now, the next thing, the fourth thing I want us to notice is how, again, God raises up assistance. First, we see that he sends the angel to deliver them from the jail, but now we see that God raises up assistance from a completely unlikely source. And the assistance here comes in the form of this man, Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is part of the council. The council was divided into the two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the liberal political power brokers. The Pharisees were in in some senses the opposite. They, They were power brokers as well, but they were conservative and they were theologically conservative. And so here's this man, Gamaliel. And as the the, the Sadducees are enraged as, as Peter once again reminds them that the blood of this man, Jesus Christ, is upon your heads. They're incensed, and it says that they were furious and they sought to kill them. But then Gamaliel comes with the voice of reason and basically says, No, you don't want to do that. Now, Gamaliel, just so are a little bit familiar with who he is. He was one of the great religious leaders of the day. He was one of the great rabbis. He was the grandson of a very famous rabbi named Hillel. But this man Gamaliel was known for his uh, moderation and he was known for his wisdom. So he speaks a, a word of advice. And basically tells the the Sadducees uh, not to follow through with putting these guys to death. But just to know that if this movement was of men, it would fizzle out. But if it was of God, he said, you don't want to be fighting against God if this is of God. Now, the main point that I want to make here and drawing your attention to this is how there are times when God will... Bring even the most unlikely people alongside what he 's doing to help the advancement of it and and this has happened over and over again, where you see in places you see like on the one hand you 've got the you know the religious leaders opposing the work, but then you see this other one who's coming alongside and saying, "Hey, now wait a second, you know uh, we need to be careful here and he distracts them from their intended purpose of killing them. And yet you would have thought that Gamaliel would not have had advice opposing their plan, but you thought that he probably would have been in agreement with them. And so even today we find these kinds of things happening. You know, I've, I've heard stories of ministry that's gone on in, in really, really difficult places like say in in uh, slums in some of the cities of South America, in in many of those slums, like in Brazil, for example, those slums, which house hundreds of thousands of people, are usually run and operated by by gangsters. And they kind of control the, the whole thing there. And uh, I've heard a number of stories of how missionaries have gone into these places with the gospel, and how the Kind of like the slum lords uh, have at times protected them, but it just shows us that God is able to raise up support or assistance or, or anything that's necessary for the gospel to advance. Even using sometimes people who would normally be opposed to the gospel and might even still be opposed to it in one sense, but for some reason they're they're sympathetic. God does that, he still does that today. And so we can have the confidence that as we're seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus, that even if necessary, totally unlikely persons will rise up in support of what God is doing. Now, these men, remember previously when they were arrested, they were warned not to speak. In the name of Jesus, but they weren't punished. They were just warned and then they were released. Now this time they go beyond simply warning them. This time they actually do punish them in that they take them and they beat them. And so verse 40, and they agreed with Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So far from having the effect that they expected the beating to have, undoubtedly they thought, okay, we're going to beat him this time. And in those days, if you received a beating, it was 49 lashes, or excuse me, 39 lashes. And um, this was a strong deterrent because who in the world would want to have this kind of thing happen on any sort of a regular base? Uh, But these guys were not deterred. As a matter of fact, far from being intimidated, it says that they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How could this be? Well, these men heard Jesus say these words, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These guys heard Jesus say those very words. And now they're living out what Jesus essentially prophesied would happen. And they're rejoicing that they get this opportunity. And you know, here's the deal. How could they rejoice? It's because they knew who the Lord was. And they knew that he had suffered for them. And Paul, when he's, he's talking to Timothy, his young helper and protege, and he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, um, make a good confession just as Jesus Christ made a good confession before Pontius Pilate. He says, Timothy, there's a a day coming when they're going to call you before the authorities and they're going to ask you to renounce your faith. Timothy, make a good confession and remember the confession of Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. So that's what they did. They looked to Jesus. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus went all the way. Jesus gave his life on the cross. And so for them, it was like, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we could suffer a little bit. Lord, you suffered for us. Thank you that we could just share a little bit in that suffering. That was the attitude that they had. But of course, that attitude was born out of their absolute conviction that Jesus was real and that everything he, you know, said and did and and promised was all true. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, when we are shunned or we are mocked or we are ridiculed or we are maybe even, you know, persecuted in some way, how do we react? Are we at that point thinking, you know, well, I, I'm not going to do this anymore because after all, look at this kind of treatment that I'm getting. Or are we just understanding that this is what happens when you're a follower of Christ in this world? And are we able to say, Lord, I rejoice in this, in this because, you know, I'm, I'm being allowed to, to experience a little bit, a very tiny bit of what you experienced for me, because that's the reality. We read in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, but he did it all for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was the joy of saving me and you. It was the joy of, of us being brought into a relationship with God. It was the joy of of being able to give us eternal life so that we could live and reign with him forever. That was the joy that was set before him. It was for that that he endured the cross. He despised the shame, but he endured the cross. And so likewise with these apostles they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he said this. He said, it is granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer shame for his name. Notice those words. It has been granted to you. You know, when something is granted to you, it's it's like something is given to you uh, as an honor. And that's exactly how they saw it. And that's exactly how we are to see it as well. Now, we see that this whole experience really did not phase them. It did not even deter them slightly from their mission because the final verse says And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. So what did they say? Don't speak in this man's name any longer. What did they do? They went out and continued to do the very thing that God had called them to do. As Peter reminded them earlier, and he had told them the first time around, we have to obey God rather than men. And they continued to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the church. This is your mission as a believer. This is my mission as a believer. This is our mission together as the church is to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You know, listen, the reality is Jesus is the answer to all of the issues that we face in life. Jesus is the answer. He's the the final word on everything. So as we preach him, as we teach people about him, about who he is and and about what he's done and about what he's going to do, this is how everything changes in a person's life. This is how hope is imparted. This is how transformation occurs. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do for those who have put their trust in him. But for those that have yet to put their trust in him, we need to let people know, listen, listen. The answer is not what you think. The answer is in Christ. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine. He's everything that we need. And that's our mission. And God help us not to be distracted from that because listen, this is always the case, but it's, it's definitely the case right now. There's so many different issues and things happening all around us that are are tempting people to get off point and not to preach and teach Jesus, but to preach and teach anything and everything else. And we have to resist that. We have to guard against that because it's not about the things that we're so often distracted by if we disconnect them from Jesus. He's he's the answer. Let's keep ourselves focusing on Jesus. Let's keep centered on Jesus. Let's study because they taught Jesus. Let's proclaim because they preached Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, and take every opportunity we get to let people know that Jesus really is the answer. He is the answer to what you're looking for, even though you don't know it, even though you don't realize it or think it. He really is. He's the one. See, all of the issues and problems, whether they're international or whether they're personally residing there in the heart or the mind of individual people, they're all answered by Christ. And so just as these men were not deterred, but continued to faithfully teach and preach Jesus Christ, may we do that. And if we as God's people personally and collectively center our lives on Jesus Christ, God's work in us and through us will be unstoppable for now and for the generations to come.
0: And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource.
1: So one of my favorite books, over the past couple years was a book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Fantastic book. Well, she has made sort of a children's version of the book. It's called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. She did such an amazing job with the Confronting Christianity book. It was actually the book of the year. I know that this one is excellent as well. So, I want to encourage you, especially if you have teenage children, to pick it up for them, read it along with them. If you are a school teacher, you interact with young people and you want to know how to help them, this will be a tremendous resource. So 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, my recommendation
0: for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to help you equip the next generation to wrestle with the challenges raised against Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God.